0: Welcome to another episode of Pop Law Podcast, I'm your host Desiree, and I'm Tyrone, and we are Not not Your your attorneys. Attorneys. We have a special guest episode today. I am going to let Tyrone do the introduction for Miss Carla Paris. Mm -hmm.
1: Carla Paris is an entertainment and sports lawyer, TEDx2018 speaker, entrepreneur, and CEO of a multimedia production company, Paris Productions Limited, and a content creator. She operates the first boutique law practice in Trinidad and Tobago, whose focus is on the area of entertainment and sports law, where she provides specialist legal advice to persons in the music, sports, film, fashion, events, and broadcast sector. She has operated as a consultant for the government of Trinidad and Tobago, the OECS Commission, the World Intellectual Property Organization, or WIPO, and the Trinidad and Tobago Olympic Committee. In January 2018, she launched her YouTube channel, which is home to a web series which she produces and hosts entitled The Business of Carnival, which is trademark. The talk show features Caribbean celebrities and renowned entrepreneurs in discussions about the legal and business aspects of the Caribbean entertainment industry with a specific focus on carnival. It was recently screened in the Trinidad and Tobago Film Festival and can also currently be seen on board Caribbean Airlines on its in-flight app, Caribbean View. Carla has been a guest lecturer in the film department of UWI and has also taught IP law in over 20 conferences locally, including Jamaica, Antigua, and St. Lucia. So everyone join me in welcoming Miss Carla Paris to Pop Law Today. Thank you for being Welcome. with us. Welcome,
0: Thank her. you so much for having me. So happy to have you. Unfortunately, in this cold weather in New York, rainy I know it's weather not, too. Yeah, rainy too.
1: I, I'm sh- hope you covered your hair in all this. Oh my gosh, see, wow, the The wind just... it'll whip it up real quick. I know.
2: <laughs> <laughs> I'm learning this. Yeah. You, you
1: know, I know with my hair. <laughs> <laughs> for those well. who can't see, I'm bald as Tommy <laughs> from Martin. <our end. laughs> But we thank you for coming um, to visit us, and we hope you had a nice, safe trip over. So, you know, I read a little bit of your background, and I think it, you know, gives people a a sense of who you are, but I want to get down sort of to the nitty-gritty. So how did you even get into entertainment law? And, you know, you you could talk a little bit about going to law school, because I know that's different in the Caribbean. It's not the same as here in the States, and, you know, how you meandered over to entertainment.
2: Okay, well, I'll try to make this the shortest version. <laughs> yeah. it's, yeah, it's, give us the highlights. I'll give you the highlights because you asked about law school. That's a long time ago for me. Like I went to law school sixteen years ago. Wow. Actually, last week Friday it was the sixteenth anniversary. Um, so in in the Caribbean, we go to law school pretty young. So we mm-hmm. go right after high school. Whereas I think you guys do a first degree. Versus yeah, versus, yeah, we do four years, four years. Right. Yeah. And, then and then
1: three more school. years of law school after that. So truly, like, Seven if you're going to be a doctor. Period. yeah, Right.
2: So for us, it's a five-year period, and usually you might start at 18, 19 kind of thing, okay. you know, if you've gone straight you after, after high school. So that's what I did. Okay. Uh, so the short answer of how I got into entertainment law was really because I took a break from law. Okay. So after law school, which I just explained was five years, I was determined not to practice law. <laughs> I was not excited by law. All I just, right. I just what was kind of taught to me and what I saw in terms of what a lawyer is, I just did not resonate with me. I did not want to go to court.
1: Fair. Up
2: to now, I have never been to court all these years later. So that was correct in terms <laughs> of my initial instinct. Yeah. I did not want to draft wills. I just, there was nothing that was appealing. I was always very... Excited by communications industry, entertainment industry. Okay. uh so after law school, I moved to London, England, on what was called then a working holiday visa. Okay. Which gave you an opportunity for two years to basically kind of do an epr love journey. Right. You know, and that's what I, I do. One
0: of those right now. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs>
2: So I did that for two years. I just worked in different fields. I found my way into communications. I worked as an editor in an entertainment magazine, completely free at night,
1: Wow! and just
2: kind of worked my way into the industry and had different random jobs in a day. Absolutely nothing to do with law. Okay. And then after that two-year visa ended, I moved back to Trinidad, worked in-house in a TV station as an entertainment news reporter for about a year. And that's when I kind of clicked and I said, wait a minute, I'm already a lawyer, I'm a qualified lawyer, I'm meeting so many people in in the industry, and most of these people have no idea how to commercialize their passions. They're not making money in the field, there's no representation, why don't I combine the two? And that's the short answer of how I got into entertainment law.
0: So what did that combination for you look like? You had this epiphany in the station. Did you, you know, have friends who were in the industry and say, hey, let me be your lawyer. What happened? No,
2: not at all. Like there was nobody really to turn to. Because wow. it's such a new and emerging field. Like Trinidad has a lot of lawyers, a lot of doctors, a lot of engineers. Like the okay. fields are saturated, but like I said, it's traditional areas of law. Okay. Right? Okay. Like I come from a long line of lawyers, but they work in real estate, wills, that kinds of stuff. So I really had nobody to turn to. There was one lady who was a pioneer in intellectual property, but at the time I moved back, she had already kind of left private practice. Okay, mm-hmm. and was working in a different field altogether. There was also a young attorney; he was working in music law. I turned to him, but he was also leaving, and incidentally now owns about three to four fashion stores across the country, wow. so left law altogether. So these persons kind of gave me tips and advice and so on, but I didn't have what you would say call a mentor, sort oh of a day-to-day. So I went and found the closest thing to intellectual property, which is working at the Intellectual Property Office. Okay. You okay. know you all call it the US Patent and Trademarks Office, yeah, I think, USPTO? USPTO. Right. So that's where I was. I worked there for two years to kind of get my grasp on, okay, what is this IP thing all about? Right. And then even there, I was kind of unsettled because I was like this is great this is interesting but it's so regulatory right and you're doing mm. a lot of like the filings yeah, you know, statute file, based. yeah statute based you're drafting legislation so i got a lot of insight in terms of the law from that standpoint but it was not hands-on and i'm a very hands-on like to interact with people be on the ground floor with clients. Right. So after about two years there, that's when it kind of dawned on me, all right, if I'm going to go into entertainment law, I'm going to have to do this on my own. Right. So I applied, got into university in London and did a master's there in entertainment law.
1: She so went, back to, went back to London. I went back to
2: London. So this okay. is the whole irony of the thing. The first time I moved to London, it was to escape from law.
1: Right. And now, where
2: all these years later, I went back to London and this time to pursue law, okay. but in a way that was interesting to me.
1: Which I can totally relate to, You know, while I was in law school, I was like, oh, if it's not entertainment, I ain't doing it. <laughs> I was like, you can count me out. I will... Find another way to make a living and, yeah. you know, sell this law degree on the black market if I had, to. For a I was going into
0: criminal. But, uh, you know, Even, I oh. just was getting too upset. So I, I had to go back to yeah. what I enjoy.
1: So I can understand that you know, being, like, your passion and you yeah. wanting to be, like, pursuing it yeah. and yeah. take yeah. you across the ocean.
0: So is there a... Well, at that time, let's stay back in the beginning. Was there an entertainment-type scene in Trinidad? What, were there musical artists um, that you can go to? Were there lots of concerts outside of Carnival? Because we'll get into that later. But getting really deep into that field of entertainment presence in Trinidad.
2: Right. So that's a good question. So, yes, Trinidad is, apart from being known for the home of Carnival, we have mm-hmm. very creative culture. Now, Trinidad and Tobago is a very different island in that usually when you think of an island, you think of sun, sea, and sand. you're going somewhere to relax on a right, beach. That's right. not really how we position ourselves. Tobago, we're a twin island, first of
1: all. Yeah. So
2: Trinidad is, is is the larger of the two islands, and that's more industrial. That's where I'm from and based. So it's very heavily, you know, sort of city-focused. It's work that's a working day. Class it's people. a working, you know... Tobago is where you go to to kind of just chill and lie on the beach kind of stuff. But okay. both islands have a really rich culture and music, soca music, calypso, okay. of course carnival, and then right. offshoots of all of that. So there is a huge scene, but not in terms of, like I was explaining to all structured entertainment law okay. or sort of there, there were no rack. They still aren't you know, um structured bracket labels or publishing companies right. and whatnot. Okay. These are things that are all now still kind of being developed by artists who have been in the game for a long time. And right. then even still like a lot of the artists that are more established, what tends to happen, which you would notice from like the Rihanna example, yeah. they would get scooped up by labels overseas. Yeah, yeah I yeah. was gonna say that. because
1: yeah. I work in distribution and right. we I do distribution deals for artists that are like based in Sri Lanka right like, knowing that their audience is sh- mainly sri lankan that's right but like because there's a, a presence like a global presence of a u.s company they feel like okay i could go to them and they'll make sure that my music gets out to even my regional fans regional band,
0: yeah so
1: that's super interesting that you describe it like that as well in trinidad and tobago
2: yeah that's the thing like there are no subsidiaries of major labels like the suny emi what you know in trinidad and tobago really anywhere in the caribbean i've noticed an increase now in some of the majors going to africa right yeah. but not in the caribbean as yeah. yet the explanation is always that the market is too small so we are looking now at developing our own homegrown labels so you know how
0: do these local artists get heard by you know these american <sighs> companies how do you know soca and calypso is pretty big over here and forgive my ignorance i mix it all together with that and african music I, I i don't have the air but um you know how do they get on the radar of uh, what of about of american, american label? label
2: they don't really that's kind of the point they uh, what we've realized yeah. now is that the market for soca calypso is actually more in europe and africa than wow, it really okay. is in the us okay uh because what what has always been it? because i've kind of gone to a number of labels over the years and tried to do just that, like pitch soaker artists and what, and the feedback is always that, oh, you know, it's not mainstream, it's known in the Caribbean diaspora or in the Caribbean circuits, but you aren't going to hear the average American listening to you know, I don't want to name names, but, you know, top soca artists. Right. So that's kind of been their explanation in terms of why they don't pick these artists up. I disagree. I think that the music is global enough to transcend. But to date, we haven't really had that major success, you know, um, in any meaningful way. So a lot of people, are, look, how how they get heard is kind of self you know, doing through a lot of concerts. Our culture, in terms of specifically Soka I'm talking about, because we do have different genres of music, is largely based on live performances. That's how you get heard. So you have Trinidad and Tobago Carnival is usually between January and February. After that, there are innumerable carnivals across the Caribbean, plus in US, then in Europe, and then in Africa. So if you have one hit that you were able to, you know, be at the top of the charts and in Trinidad and Tobago, be played at all the events. That means that for you, that one artist, mm-hmm. you are performing one song two for the entire year. Oh, you just do man. it. You understand? Yeah. You're doing it. And that's how they make their money. Wow. So, you, so you're just going all these circuits. And then how carnivals work is that there are three and four events a night.
1: Mm-hmm. So if
2: you're performing at four or five events a night right. and then going to another country, another country, that's kind of how you eat.
1: Wow, you know. So I do want to. Um, you're giving us a lot of great insight into like the business aspect of the entertainment portion of this. Um, So I want you to talk about some of maybe the unique challenges you face as an entertainment attorney and all of this. And I guess something that I've been hearing and picking up on is like you said, there's not like the infrastructure here for the industry, like in the United States or just, you know, other countries that have burgeoning music or film or television scenes. So you don't have the agents and the managers necessarily. So how does that work for you? Do you have to like do? double duty or triple duty sometimes and try to play more than one role or like how does that what are your challenges you faced well okay so I moved back to Trinidad
2: in 2010 Mm -hmm. so this is after like all uh, as I explained to you guys the eat pray love the working in tv you know working in ip so moved back to Trinidad 2010 after having completed the entertainment law masters and that's when I decided okay I'm gonna have to do this on my own can I open up my own practice and I'm just naturally So Mm -hmm. I started talking on Facebook. Um, I don't even think I was on Instagram back then. Just about what i use is the hashtag the business of so i would say well this is what's happening in the business of music the business of entertainment the business of whatever it is fashion Mm -hmm. and talking about how people should structure themselves this is how you get a deal this is what an endorsement deal looks like so i would i kind of started putting myself out there Mm -hmm. kind of just organically in that way right and that's how people started to get you know wait a minute there's such a thing as an entertainment lawyer what does that mean Uh right So from that, then I started getting booked to do workshops and and seminars and teaching and a lot of that to kind of educate because I had to kind of educate the market and why they even needed me. Right. Because yeah. it wasn't like there was this big demand, like, oh, okay, let me go seek out entertainment lawyers, because most people were still emerging. Right. So it's not like there's this big pool of people at the top who are making all this money and they're now saying, okay, let me hire out my lawyer. The lawyer's the last thing on their
1: mind right. ever. Yeah. It's like, it's a, it's a, Pain. Yeah, they're just trying to pay their bills. They're just trying to pay the their bills. They're trying
2: to find a manager. They're trying to get signed to a label. They're trying to tour. Nobody wants to hear from a lawyer, you know? Right. They, and Because they, they consistently think that a lawyer is somebody you only call when you have a problem. Right. So I was my whole kind of pitch was, you come to me before you have a problem. Right. Let me help you structure that deal. Get contracts in place. Make sure you know if you own your masters.
1: Right. All of
2: those things. So that's kind of how. And then we do have infrastructure in the sense if we have uh what you'll call pro's we have pro's in trinidad you okay. know uh we have um as i said intellectual property office so the laws are there the structure is there but what's missing is a lot of the the sort of what you would call the middleman. okay so strong management teams strong booking agents to get you to the next level because that's just not how our society's been brought up. Like when I first started talking to you, I was telling you, we have a lot of lawyers, doctors, engineers, because that's kind of our culture. Okay. Academia, it's kind of like in Africa, know if you know, if yeah. African yeah. culture, that is what is celebrated. Not to going to your parents and telling your parents, oh, I want to be a musician. Right. right. Oh, I want to be a comedian or a fashion designer. They're going to say, what are you talking about? Yeah. You know? And then you to university for that. So that's why there's a lack of persons who understand the business of management. You right. Get, so, the, so we're now kind of getting there. And in the nine years since I've been back home, I've seen it. It's almost like I feel like I'm 100 years sometimes. Like The <laughs> amount of change that I've seen. You know, it's 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 the, the tides are turning, you know, so, and more people are getting interested in it. So. It's
0: interesting because you talked about the challenges um, that you face and then into big Tobago not having the infrastructure of the labels and traditional, you know, American structure of the music business. So what types of deals do you work on? Are these mostly international deals and you have to learn that international or American law, are there any local deals that you work on for these artists since they aren't really signing to a local label? Right,
2: so I work in not just music law, but I kind of work across the board in entertainment. So I do a bit of fashion law, a bit of uh, events as well. Well, obviously, of course, any carnival industry and Mm -hmm. so on, so broadcast. Mm -hmm. So there really is no typical, if you understand, like Mm -hmm. it really differs a lot. So if I were to talk about the deals, probably I've worked the most on, they might be endorsement deals and endorsement deals that are music. Uh, performing music artists would sign with a local major corporation. Okay. Mm. Those are kind of the most structured deals that you would see happening. Mm. Um, and of course, you know, I don't need to explain to you what endorsement deals are. So right, those, right, and right. those would be regional deals. So you might be signed to a corporation in Trinidad, Barbados, Jamaica, okay. blah, you know, across, across the region kind of stuff. Those are pretty common. Um, in terms of international deals, I, tend to do more deals with companies based in the United Kingdom than in the okay. U.S. Okay. Uh, because U.K., traditionally, their their culture and music is a lot more open. Like, they have world music and this and yeah. like You know, it's it's just they tend to reach out more frequently. And then the U.S. deals I do tend to be Caribbean-owned labels who mm. are reaching out to come to um, artists, you know, in the Caribbean. Okay. You get what I'm saying? Yeah. That's kind of what's more common. There are a couple uh, major label deals that I've done with Sony. I've done a couple of deals with MTV
1: mm-hmm.
2: uh, where they have wanted to use Sync sing for our thing shows like Real World yeah. so they'll be filming somewhere in the Caribbean and they want but they call island music which by the yeah. way drives us crazy please
1: <laughs> do not ever use that term <laughs> it's sort of like when you say African music exactly
2: what part of it? it's like what part, oh. Oh like, part like which country <laughs> you which know how many you know
1: languages are spoken in exactly. Africa exactly you know how many nations are in Africa
2: <laughs> exactly it's the same thing like we just it's just uh, it's bad <laughs> you know but yeah so that. I've done those kinds of deals where they want to use, you know, Caribbean sounding music for the same.
0: And it's difficult to kind of see that soca's not really picking up in the U.S., particularly living in Brooklyn. There's yeah. a Soca party every day. And I think, music, exactly, like, Desiree, they, they I think we get this. spoiled
1: because we live in such a multicultural city that yeah. we sort of we can get caught up in like a bubble of a world where we feel like everything we experience the rest of the country is experiencing. Right. You know, all you need to do is go right down the road to New Jersey (laughs) (laughs) and you'll figure out real quick that what's happening in New York is not happening. In the five boroughs isn't necessarily being experienced by the rest of the country. That's correct. Um, I do want to also speak about um, specifically carnival Mm -hmm. and what type of work do you do around carnival because Mm -hmm. I know That's sort of part of like the series that you work on on YouTube and you do a lot of educating about carnival. So I know it's lots of live performances and like what is the law that is sort of like developing around carnival?
2: Okay, so it was, it was really interesting to me when you reached out and you said, you know, pioneering and carnival law. I thought that was so cool because I don't think I'd ever heard that term before. So I think you've actually coined it, <laughs> term. <it laughs> you which, heard
1: that first, everyone. We, we yeah, coined it.
2: Yeah, yeah, I'm popular. <laughs> I'm going to be using that moving power and I'm going to say, hey, you know, imagine Americans coined carnival law. That's pretty <laughs> interesting because nobody really calls it that. And for this specific reason, um, carnival is made up of so many areas. Right. So they Live events, of course, which we call fets, so f e t e s, that's part like of our French culture, right? right? Um, there are the whole aspect of actually putting on, um, sort of pop up shops and whatnot, uh-huh. right? Then there's the whole aspect, of which is a really sort of developing area social media law and photography in Carnival, mm. because a big aspect of Carnival that a lot of photographers come out onto the roads during the time of the parades, take pictures of either celebrities that have flown in for carnival, Mm -hmm. or just what we call the masqueraders, the people in costumes Mm -hmm. on the Monday and the Tuesday. And then it's always a confusion about who owns the rights to what. Because we do not have, like you have a freestanding right of image rights, publicity rights, that's not recognized in Commonwealth. We don't have Mm -hmm. a specific piece of legislation for that. So it's always confusing about, well, if I, you took a picture of me in the middle of the road in my costume and you put me as the face of your glossy magazine next day in salad, do I get a piece of that? Am I entitled to cook to our um, compensation as a photographer? So those are the areas of law that would comprise carnival law. If you understand what I'm saying, it's made up of all these already existing areas
1: yeah so i also was thinking of you know since you brought up like someone's being photographed in their costumes that they're wearing um i'm we're probably not familiar with like the law in the sense that trademark here does not cover like design for clothing and i know a lot of the costumes that you're saying worn during carnival are very intricate and they take months if not uh, upwards of a year to make some time That's right. so is there any protection in those designs at all or, or is it just like here where if it's a trademark like logo mm-hmm. that you've incorporated into designing your clothing you could you mm-hmm. know get someone for infringement of that but like mm-hmm. the actual arrangement of clothes themselves is mm-hmm. not actually it's not protected
2: well this is this is a, a really complex question right so that's another area that's brought up quite frequently during mm-hmm. carnival time. The whole question of the ownership of the costume, first of all, so it's in many areas. Is the costume owned by the designer, the person who sketched the design? Right. That's yes, based on copyright law, it would be, because you know, you've know you created the design, you've right. sketched and so forth, right. but there's the added complication of designers who usually work in a construct where they are hired by somebody to create these designs for a particular band which yeah like got, almost like
1: a work for hire situation there you go
2: so then it becomes and a lot of the times these are done orally so there's no mm. written agreement mm. so it becomes confusing in terms of well, who owns what and right. these issues usually become prominent after carnival when major companies and I've had this experience many times major companies right here in New York might oh, no. reach out and say oh we're having a runway show Okay. So there are questions around that, but to answer your question, yeah, I would come under things like um, industrial designs. Okay. You know that area of law. You know whether the costume meets the threshold for protection. Yeah. That's usually how we 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 couch it. You know, under the whole question of fashion law and whatnot. What about and, so?
0: Um, I'm I'm thinking ahead. of um too. You know, we're talking about ownership here and. Ownership is pretty big, particularly now in the Black community, hip-hop community, and, you know, we're really focused on that. Well, artists are really focused on that now, and so mm-hmm. I was just thinking of uh, when people come out to Carnival and you have these different companies and corporations that come out, how many local um, vendors are you using or they're using in this carnival? Is it mostly outsourced companies that are doing the production and the food and different things like that? And are they using the local people for carnival?
2: Yeah, I mean, usually it's people from, from the various islands. Mm-hmm. So for example, if I were to say, okay, let's say Labor Day Carnival was just a couple of months ago, right? It was in September. Mm-hmm. So how it works is that it would usually be Americans-based here, but with some sort of Trini parentage or Trini descent kind of thing, mm-hmm. you know? They are going to hire artists from Trinidad, Barbados, St. Vincent, wherever the persons with the biggest hits for this year are, because it's a the thing with Zuka. Mm-hmm. It's very much based on who is seasonal, who's good for the year. So um. you have to be training out new music every single year to keep on top. So you as a a promoter, you're going to reach out and say, okay, who has the big hits for the, you know, out of all the various islands, you're going to hire them, fly Mm. them up to your event. And then that's usually how the arrangement works. So, yes, the locals, it's it's usually us. where are the ones who are performing. Okay. You know, but the larger question is, with all of these performances that are taking place live, are the royalties being distributed? Yes. And usually it's no. That's it's what not, I was going to ask yeah. you. Yeah. So
0: distributed to the artists, because if it's not the same infrastructure as here, um, I, I'm just trying to think, like, what country's law are you using if it's not that real structure are you Mm -hmm. i think a main example i'm thinking of is say the carnival concert was streamed on an american platform got it um and then you know they will get some royalties and streaming rights and things to that is that something that you know you've seen or that has been done yet or maybe people considering because that'll be another revenue and i would hope that these American companies, you know, they will try to use their law and you being versed in that can make sure that the artists get paid.
2: Well, okay, so how it usually breaks is that, let's say you have a live event, Mm -hmm. right, during Carnival. I don't know, you have it in a venue somewhere in Brooklyn is usually where a lot of these events take place. right. Of, I would think. I mean, that ASCAP. You have to have a license from ASCAP. Not so to, to have um, what you call it to have live events on right. the
0: public performance, like the yes. blanket yes. license. Yes.
2: Exactly, a blanket license. So then, ASCAP then remits royalties to the collecting society in Trinidad and Tobago because they're reciprocals. Okay. So our societies have reciprocal agreements. With societies all across the globe, okay. so that's how the royalties are going to be distributed back to the owners of the pieces of music.
1: Okay, uh-huh. so it's the reciprocity piece of that that, that gets that paid. That
2: okay. uh, and that, and also because it's uh, in our, which is I don't think we should get into that. It's very complicated, but in <laughs> our kind of reality, our ownership of the masters is often a complex issue in terms of yeah. okay, so. You know, you have your live performances, the ASCAPs and whatnot, the BMIs are going to be collecting in terms of the musical composition, mm-hmm. as the lyrics and the melody, but then in terms of the master, who's collecting on behalf of the master, and then what society in Trinidad is that going back to? Right. That's because I think you all have sound exchange here, but then yeah. you don't necessarily have reciprocals with okay. sound exchange. Uh-huh. That's where it gets confusing.
1: Wow, that yeah? is super, super, like... This is why I said carnival law. (laughs) Because it is very intricate and it has its own set of unique problems. And then making it even
0: broader, if the country doesn't have that infrastructure, then it it makes it a little bit difficult because you you do have these power companies who, well, you know, take advantage of the country's not having that infrastructure and know they don't have to pay out how they have to pay here. So, I mean, it's up to you to develop that now, right?
1: (laughs) So, how do you sort of get clients now in a space like this where you're like trying to convince people that they need you and no one really wants to pay an attorney? Like, what? So, what, like, how do you go about, you know, making this a business for you? I know it's your passion, but like, yeah. you also need to be paid. But. You're so
2: right. <laughs> <laughs> well, okay. So, what I. It's kind of organically developed, right? Just as I explained to you all. So over the years, I've represented a lot of performing artists, a lot of people in the various fields, like I said, fashion. And
1: like, which capacities were you working on them? Were you doing like one-off projects or were you like oh, their attorney? Oh,
2: right. Okay. So a lot of it is not retainer matters. So people don't retain you to sort of be part of their team, okay. you know, for a year, two years, largely because they don't have that capital. Right. Okay. So it would usually be projects, hair and there for a variety of people that's that's basically how i've had my practice over the years and then work from corporate companies so i work on both sides of the spectrum i'll represent the artists as well as i'll represent the corporate companies okay depending on what the deal is obviously if the corporate company is wanting to do a deal with an artist who i represent then i will be able to do it (laughs) but if not then that's basically how but it's interesting that you've met. You asked that question because right now I'm in a whole transitionary phase in my practice mm-hmm. where I'm actually working less with what I would call private clients okay. and more, I'm, I'm focusing more on my series. Okay. And okay. the series has actually, it started as a passion project last year, but it's actually now turned into its own business. So
0: tell us the name of your series and what it's about.
2: Okay, so it's called The Business of Carnival, right? This was launched last year together with my sister, who is a co-producer of the series, and it literally spawned from everything I just told y'all, over the years, kind of realizing that there's all of this potential in the carnival industry, all these various saberas, photographers, live events, event producers, fashion designers, costume designers, Mm -hmm. and out of Trinidad Carnival, we have spawned carnivals all over the world. There is a carnival every month of the year. Twelve months of the year, there is a carnival, a Trini-style carnival, wow. mm-hmm. in some country, whether it be Germany, Africa, you name it. Michigan, I was shocked to realize Michigan, Michigan BC, has, a, has a Trini-style carnival. I know the uh,
0: Toronto carnival, to- Carabana, right? It's big Carabana, right? Yeah, yeah, so
2: that's what that's what spawned the series because. I would have work right after the carnival of people arguing amongst themselves mm-hmm. who owns what, like explain, who owns the design, who owns this, what happens with the music, who owns the master. Okay. And I just thought, okay, you know what? This is ridiculous. Like, as much as it's great that I have all this regularization work to do, I would rather spend my time making people money. getting you deals, you know, rather than always fixing something that's messy and complicated and, you know, it's stressful and I just didn't enjoy it. So I said, why not do a series which educates on the value of what we actually create? Mm -hmm. We're known as the home of Carnival, but we're not actually commercializing and understanding the IP in most of what we create and send out to the wider world. So that's what's funny series. So it started last year and I started it just in trinidad and tobago when i created four episodes one specifically on photography law one on the, on any matters that happen in events one from the perspective of a performing artist one of our top silk artists uh and lions and then there was another one from a band leader a band leader is the person that puts on you know like a owns a carnival band okay, okay. right and i was amazed by the response to the series i got it uploaded we got you know uh very sort of young and junior cameraman to come you know we we he edited it i filmed it at my aunt's house the Mm -hmm. whole thing was totally low budget i had no experience in production editing none of us really and uploaded it onto youtube released it during carnival and the response was phenomenal and people said this is amazing we need this kind of content we never knew you know these issues arose and then from that I decided, why not go to Barbados Carnival? Because Barbados Carnival, which is called Crop Over, is becoming more and more well known because Rihanna goes right. every year and uh-huh. she's really proud of her Beijing culture. Right. And she goes and she supports her brother who owns a carnival band over there. Okay. So I went to Barbados and kind of interviewed two top persons over there. And then from that, I realized, okay, this thing is really developing. I need to kind of figure out how am I going to commercialize this thing? Right. You know, and that's where I'm at now. So this year I did Trinidad again, and then I did Hollywood Carnival, Los Angeles Hollywood. Okay. Um, Because I wanted to kind of educate the world that this is where our culture is, even in downtown L.A., and the parade was on the Walk of Fame, and most mm-hmm. people didn't know that, so it was the strangest I'm just thing. Just remembering,
0: there was there's one in San Francisco too. Yeah, and, and I went to the end portion of it, but yeah, yeah. they are everywhere. That's what yeah, I'm or saying. some type of version. Yeah. yeah,
2: yeah. So that's that's what this series is about. It's explaining to people the business of carnival because any time you hear about a carnival show, a carnival documentary, you're going to see the beads, the feathers, what we call yeah. bikini mass. Okay. but the business aspects of it is what has been missing and the ip certainly
0: so, so for a person who's never been a carnival anywhere what's the best carnival oh and- come on <laughs> <laughs> And which one should they go to first? What kind of question is that? I mean, <laughs> I'm being political here. Now I'm biased.
2: Obviously, Trinidad uh-huh. and Tobago is uh-huh. the best carnival. It's the first one in calendar year as well. Okay. You know, January to February. Um, and then after that, Jamaica carnival is right after in April. Is that um,
0: the second one that
2: they should go to? No, that's actually, it's, a, it's, it's definitely emerging, but okay. it's very new. Barbados is another big, big carnival. I would heavily encourage you to go to that. Carnival, uh-huh. Grenada also is a major,
1: major carnival. Okay. Oh, and let's take a, a step like way out. Like I think for some of our listeners, we know what carnival is. Okay. Oh I don't yes. Think we've, I don't think we've yes. said it at all in this episode. Oh, that's true. Gosh, to how do I explain what carnival
2: is? <laughs> how I what is carnival? Is, <laughs> Just, um, um, is it a week bit. long? Okay, so of days? it's what's a, it celebrating. yeah So it's a. it's Carnival basically is a festival which celebrates um, our culture and it started basically from slavery, Mm -hmm. right? So the African slaves, from what we understand, used carnival, creative expression, as a way to sort of liberate themselves, Mm -hmm. you know, and kind of express themselves or whatnot. That's sort of the genesis of carnival, right? Okay. Mm -hmm. So from that, you know, uh, there were all, there was all these cre- creativity, festive elements and whatnot. And it's developed into this, basically, in Trinidad, that is. Right. Almost like a two-month period of festivities. So we are now in November. When I go back home, you know, from basically from right after Christmas, okay. there are going to be events every week for the next two months, whether wow. it be steel band events, steel pan events. Right. And what's that? Steel pan is basically, like the, that. this is, I think it's called sometimes in North America, the steel drum. Yeah. Okay. Right. This was an, an invention created in Trinidad and Tobago as well. It's been exported all over the world. And it's another example of us not understanding our intellectual property because we did not patent this. Mm. Right. Yeah. Um, but it's historically noted that it was created. Steel Pan is now all over the world. Mm-hmm. It's heavily, heavily um, popular in Japan. Wow. It's taught yeah. in schools over there. Wow. And, and we are still trying to figure out, you know what, how do we commercialize this instrument that we created? Mm-hmm. Now it's a big deal. And now we have major festivals called Panorama.
1: Yeah, there's yep. one here in Brooklyn. They, and, once again. Um, it, yeah. it happens right around um, the Labor, Day Labor Day at, yeah. that is the, point. And, uh, at the Brooklyn mm-hmm. Museum right mm. so all
2: these steel pan organizations get together they compete amongst themselves so during the two months you're going to have competitions in steel pan in traditional calypso mm. uh you're going to have live performances you're going to have fets which i explained is basically live right. events yeah. where yeah. soca artists can but we have about 10 derivatives of a live event so it's there somewhere they're called all-inclusive food so it's all you can eat food and drinks alcohol That's premium drinks favorite. of all mm. all oh. kinds Food of every possible dish you can think of. So from caviar all the way down to street food and it's what you want to eat all in its three, you know, three, four hours of this. Then if that's not for your budget, there are events where you just, you know, you can wear your shorts, you know, not be dressed, but all take your cooler, your own cooler of drinks, and go to that event and then watch the live acts. Okay. Then there's a mixture of the two. Then there are those where you are going to be in paint. And they paint you in oil mm. um, and whatever you know, paint and so forth. That's those are called juve parties. Yes, yeah. right. Their hair to and that too. one here, right? Know about those. <laughs> exactly. So that's what it is. It's just an expression of culture and whatnot across the board, culminating in these two days. So it's called the road. Monday and Tuesday, where you wear your costumes. Monday and Tuesday, from about Monday, it usually starts at about 10 a.m was about six PM, and then on Tuesday it's seven AM to eleven PM in the night.
1: Wow! Oh right? my gosh!
2: Yes. That is. So you
0: need to rest up before you go out. There, I need to rest right? up. You need to go to the gym. <laughs> it you need to make like- sure that
2: you, because people usually, when I was in university, I would bring friends, and they would pass out half day on Monday. <laughs> they would get lost, and literally, they would get lost in the crowd. It was just a disaster.
1: It's, honestly, because I went to school in New Orleans, it sounds like party girl time. Where, like, if you haven't done it before, you probably won't make it till Mardi Gras Day. That's right. Because it's like you said, it's several days of festival. It's literally multiple parades every day. Every day, staying up late into the night. That's right.
2: And there are two, three events. So before the Monday and Tuesday, which is the culmination, the parade. There's what you call Carnival Monday. Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, and then the parade on a Monday and a Tuesday. Yes. That week there are events every single night, two, three events a night. Uh, so, so if sick. you come and you just kind of you know want to drink yourself to stupor, <laughs> you're not going to be able to wake up to get the events done the next day. Because we do these things and we get up and we go to work the next day. Oh no, this is what we're this is part of our culture we, yeah. we, you know, but usually visitors come, my sisters had friends come we've got they've gotten lost, we don't know where to find them. They've stumbled off somewhere. Oh my so I'm
0: excited. So when I do my first one, I'm gonna call you because yes. I need you need somebody who knows <laughs> what they're doing to do get right. you to be
2: right. And also, tickets to our these events are really difficult to find.
0: Uh, okay. A
2: lot of the hotels are booked up. All now, the right. top right. hotels are booked up. The flights are booked uh, to to come to Carnival. What's happening now? too? a lot of celebrity managers reach out to get their mm. clients on. Mm. Float both as you would call like them. That, yeah. So there's a lot of that happening, too. Um, so it's just, it's it's a, it's definitely something to experience.
0: So this is exciting. Um, you know, before we get out of here, definitely let us know what else you have going on and what mm-hmm. brought you to New York other than coming to Pop Law Podcast. Oh, yeah. <laughs>
2: Well, I came to New York to visit my sister, my brother. They both live here. They've been here for a while. Okay. Uh, so, you know, I'm pretty familiar. I'm here pretty often. This is my first time for the year. Usually I'm here maybe sometimes twice a year, in the past couple of years. But okay. because I've been so busy in producing the series, yeah. which is now its own other beast apart from practicing law i really have not had a moment to breathe because it's you know i have no formal training in production and editing and any other stuff filmmaking so i'm basically teaching myself this craft you know and then the whole aspect of marketing And getting brands on board and all of that has been a big learning, you know. So to answer your question, Desiree, where I'm at next is that right now, I'm literally in the midst of getting ready for next year, which we're going to be calling season three. Okay. Uh, The intention is to go to start again with featuring Trinidad and Tobago Carnival And then hopefully uh, Barbados Carnival and Grenada Carnival.
0: Okay. So
2: another reason that I'm here is I'm actually meeting up with Caribbean-based companies who are interested in coming on board the series as sponsors, Mm -hmm. brand partners, to get their brands out there. Because, I mean, as you all know, you all do podcasts, you know, you're online, so you understand the potential or reach that an episode can have globally. Right. So, you know, if, if companies are interested, they're listening, they want to get their brand seen in an online series that has spanned. You know, one of our last episodes reached over 185,000 persons Wow! we mm-hmm. saw on our Facebook analytics. Yeah, we have social media pages for the show apart from the show, which is hosted on YouTube under my channel, which is called Carla Paris LLB LLM, You look for the series in the playlist, The Business of Carnival. You can also find us on our social media pages, Facebook and Instagram at The Business of Carnival. And clips of the show are placed there. So there are opportunities for sponsors, brands, companies, logos to be seen there. Any short clips that we show year-round of the series as well, you know. And, um as tyron would have mentioned when you read my bio it's currently on caribbean airlines okay. which is awesome. our top airline for the region you know so that's that's
1: why i'm here you know to do networking business plus plus family and if people wanted to just contact you or follow you on your social itself right where so, could they reach you at
2: so my instagram is at carla underscore paris I'm also on LinkedIn and my Facebook is Carla Paris as well. Two odds in Paris. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, thank you so much for being yes, on. Thank you. I just learned so much and I definitely want to get involved and also attend yes. for my first carnival. So uh mm. when that happens, I'll definitely be in touch. You should, yeah, you should. <laughs> we, we
1: really appreciated you coming on the show, Carla. We look forward to whatever you do next and you know continue to grow the series or you go back into Private practice per se, and have more clients. Mm-hmm. Um, we hope that everything is going to work out the way that you want it to work out.
2: Thank you um, so much.
1: But with that being said, remember you can find us at our socials at Poplaw Podcasts. You know where we are. Um, the What's website
0: podcast dot com and Pandora.
1: Yes, we're on Pandora now.
0: Um, Apple, Google,
1: Stitcher. I yeah, we said Apple. Yeah,
0: <laughs> yeah everywhere we're everywhere. Um, Yeah, please remember that we we are are not not your attorneys. attorneys.